Ah, good luck. Puts on the step, goes right through, puts on the step again. Oh, go pretty. That was magnificent stuff. Well, I shall not believe them. Marshall skips away, Marshall skips away. Marshall's still going. Mullins opens up again. Oh, look at him go. He beats O'Davis on the outside. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Voluntary Tackle, the only NRL podcast that can make Patrick Herbert lose the game by not passing a ball. And by passing a ball. Embarrassing, eh? Who'd want to be in the finals? Not my team. Nope. Safely mild mondaying on a sand-riddled inner west golf course. Yep. Mediocre and consistent. That's a life for me. I cast it podcast. We are pre-recording this pathetic attempt at me acting like I'm daydreaming live from the Sports Best Friend Studios. I'm your host, Big T, of whom views are my own, and these said views are done with an air of confidence and comfort inside a Big T's T. On the show today, our South for real. What's the most likely outcome for the rest of the top five and six? If you include South, it's my maths, quick maths. Uh, a summation of Corey Norman's 200 career games and why the West Tigers will finally make the eighth next season. But first, a man who was up all night clinking Merlot and is now too tired and busy to be here. Please excuse Xander Rizzo Rosado's absence. Clinking his shots of Serbian vodka in an attempt to please the gods of rugby league and return the spirit of Travojevic back to Tom's body. It's Mario Mizzo Siegs. How are you, sir? I am very well. Vodka... Vodka on a Monday night is is acceptable in, in polite circles. Serbian vodka on a Monday night is probably less acceptable, but I'm here to give it a go, whatever it takes to get um, Jake Turbo above 40 metres from 10 runs and to get Turbo to actually run more than twice. And have you thought about offering a poo in the shoe or you know, peer, peeing really close to your mouth as a show of sacrifice to the uh, Daily Messenger and the rest of the gods? Oh, I more thought that in the spirit of the um, was it the Mossy Masoy week? Yeah, that we had a few, a few weeks back that I'm going to lob a grenade at the Roosters before the kickoff. <laughs> and annoyingly, a man who used to be the driver had a trip once in the passenger seat and now refuses to drive again. It's your host and mine, Eamon Bizzo Brown. How are you, sir? I'm very well, T. Great to be here. What did you pop when celebrating your win on the weekend? Well, probably the inside of my anus, mate, as I molested it during that very <laughs> tense moment. Was it wasn't exactly the finish to the game that I that my my asshole required because I guess I was so tense I didn't realise I was essentially a priest's hand with a twelve year old boy underneath my own shorts. But I well, get like that sometimes when I'm having a very tense moment. Well, well, uh, I was hoping to hear more about one's frendulum, but you went into the Catholic world of friendliums, well, the sounds of things. Uh, and what I also like to, no, I think it will. I'm just going to remind everyone the views are our own respectively, not just the podcast views, but each one of us respectively. Now, are our own too. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Bizzo, uh, manly fucked. I would say no. They've definitely got uh, essentially uh, all they have to do is turn up next week uh, to progress to the preliminary finals. Uh, they will beat the Roosters, I think, and beat them comfortably. I think there is still a shot of making that grand final. They're a good team. I think what they really need to do, though, is dispense with the shock tactic of depriving Tommy Toba of the ball. I don't know if that tactic worked. <laughs> I wasn't a fan of it. For some reason, he only touched the ball three times. 
interesting. I think Des Hasler might have had a plan. They've gone, oh, I know what Bellamy's thinking. It's like the double bluff. He goes, I think he's going to yeah. get the ball a lot. And instead, we're going to deprive him of the ball. And they just realised in that moment that Morgan Harper is nowhere near as good as Tommy Turbo. Did you notice um, that commentators seem to be talking about Hutchinson and how good he is all the time in about the last month? Every game, this is the game of his career. This is the best game of the season. This is his best game ever. Have you noticed that? I have, mate. And it's interesting you bring that up because, you know, we talk shock tactics. Obviously, the Roosters, uh, we uh, we birthed (laughs) the old shock tactic because we shocked the Rugby League world when we threw Drew Hutchinson a contract. People were unbelievably... (laughs) Um, <laughs> taken aback by that. Um, they, I think he gets unnecessary raps. And uh, I know people might think I'm flogging a dead horse here, but um, there was a moment in that game against the Titans where all we had to do was knock over the one point. Drew Hutchison gets the ball. We're in a fairly central position. And he very slowly ran the blind side. And you're thinking, oh, hello, this is Hutch is up to something here. He's going to go for an all or nothing <laughs> play. And what does he do? He very slowly and meekly gets tackled on the last. Now, that is just comedy to me because he didn't have a strategy. He didn't know what he was doing, T. It was a good – I remember it clearly. I remember that play, and I, and I thought it was the right play, and it, it was a real shame that he couldn't pull it off. Um, and flogging a dead horse, I vaguely reminds you, that's what your wife calls your asshole after the other night, dead horse. Um, now, Mizzo, before I ask you, I want to pose it to you like this. Who is more likely to win the grand final now, South? and their feet fans, or Manly and the Flap City? Oh, I think it's very clearly Manly because I'm extremely biased and we can't play that badly. We've owned, we haven't lost two games in a row or even two games within a few weeks of each other since the first four rounds of the year. Since then, we went on, we would win three, lose one, win three, lose one, win three, lose one. We finished the season with four wins. And then with the one loss, well, you know, we only need three more wins and... You know, that seems to be in line with what we've been doing this season. So I, I say lock it in. Just ignore that at the start of the year that my prediction was Melbourne to beat Souths in the grand final because I really, really want to be wrong about that in so many ways because obviously I don't want Souths to be there. But even more than that, I actually don't just don't want Melbourne to win because fuck those bastards. Now, that was one of your extremely clever, I go for a run, and I want to just slip that into conversations because now you've come up with an excellent prediction, which is looking extremely likely, and you're just chucking that in there. And, geez, I hope this doesn't happen, guys, where I look really smart. This is an interesting thing you brought up with that pattern, the three and one, three and one, and it sounds excellent, but it would also need you to know the patterns of the storm, uh, the roosters and, and south. Do you know if they've been going on a three and one or a five and one or a 20 and zero, you know, any of them on a big run like that? Well, I mean, Storm, because they won so many in a row this season, their patterns are completely irrelevant. Because out of whack. There's, yeah. yeah, there's just not, <laughs> you can't make a pattern out of that unless you assume they're going to win the next 19 games after that loss. And that seems, you know, possible, but not, yeah. not likely. <laughs> Probable. <laughs> yeah. no, no, I'm going to disagree there. Okay. <laughs> um, Roosters, look, roosters are not the um the shot ducks that Eamon likes to pretend that he thinks they are, or, or he would not have taken the the bet that we have on the next game. Mm. So he obviously thinks his team are a chance. He doesn't just want to donate me beer. Well, that's where you're wrong, Mario. You see, because deep, <laughs> deep down, mate, I'm I'm basically a philanthropist, um, and I, I'm just looking to donate slabs of beer to people in need. Now I know. 
you'd think if you're going to do that, you'd give it to T because if there's ever a charity, it's the West Tigers. Um, but on this <laughs> particular occasion, mate, I am going to give you a slab of your favourite beer, which I'm led to believe is VB. <laughs> if you do, I will just immediately, the store that I pick it up from, I say, thanks for this. I need to exchange it for something drinkable. You craft beer hussy. I'll tell you, if you indulge me here, mate, I've actually put another TVT poll out to the people right oh, on yes. this topic. And uh, shortly before we started <laughs> broadcasting, and I am going to use the verb broadcasting, why not? Yeah, um, yeah. Even though it's a static pod, that's okay. I actually asked our listeners, who will win the NRL title in 2021? Now, uh, this is completely blowing Mario's theory out of the water because I haven't included the Roosters. There's a maximum of four options. I've gone for the serious answers. I've gone Panthers, Storm, South, or Eagles. Now, this is actually quite interesting. 70% of the 180 votes so far, Melbourne Storm. And even more interesting is that the Panthers have only garnered 11.6% of the votes. So people think the Panthers are shot ducks in the water. It actually surprises me. I, I think they've got plenty of football left in them. So that yeah, that's a little dated, if I can be uh, – you sound a little bit Donald Trump there. There's now been 182 votes, and the Storm only have 62%. So, you know, there's a bit of a swing away from, from the uh, storm. And South are, are the next biggest. That's the other thing that I'm loving. That there's a real Mario feeling out there that it will be storm South. Mm, yeah, so 15.5% for Souths, 11% Eagles. Do you think that's fair, Mario, in terms of the share of the pie, 11% for the Eagles? I would think so, simply because Souths and Storm are going to be pretty nicely rested, and especially Storm after the game they had. Nice training run for them. So they should cruise into the grand final, you'd think. Um, whereas Penrith, on the back of a loss against the Parramatta team that I think are, are playing pretty well, apart from the game they threw at the moment, you know, I, I think they're going to give them a decent run. And Roosters Manly is not going to be a walkover for either team, I certainly wouldn't think, now that PVL ball has pretty much been thrown away and we're back to normal <laughs> rules. Um, so I see it being a pretty good game. You know, Roosters, uh, they're, they're, not, they're certainly not full strength, but they're as close as they've probably been all season. Is Verrill's looking likely to play or is he going to be out, do you know? Given the way that the NRL have ruled this season, you'd have to assume that he's probably going to be rubbed out. Um, he's going to, you would imagine the Roosters are going to fight it. I think he's facing a two-match ban. It's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because he makes slush contact shoulders to the face, but he doesn't move. He's like a statue and the guy runs into his shoulder. I guess in modern rugby league, he's probably going to be facing a minimum of a week, um, in which case that's okay. That's just a, another dead body on the ground for the tricolours. We'll dig deep. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll find someone by the name of Marv, who is a postman, probably lives on Bondi Road. We'll get him to play and everything will be fine. Work those we'll risks. Alan and something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's put a uh, shout out right now. Is Alan Morford available? Can I get some definitive answers so we can fill this out? Who, how do you think the um, finals play out? Uh, we'll go with you, Mizzo. First, with Sea Eagles and Roosters, who do you really think wins that one? I am going to. I'm going to tip Manly. I think it'd be strange if I didn't. I do genuinely believe we have enough fit players compared to them. Um, as long as Dylan Walker isn't the best player in the field this week, I think we can win because the one time that's happened this year, we've been absolutely flogged. Um, yeah. I think we. And I'm of course tipping that we're going to be playing Parramatta in the grand final. So. I don't think I'm so, so I'll <laughs> keep going with me. So now you're at South and um, you're, at, you're against South. How do you think you go against South? Very hard game. We don't 
we haven't the last five, six years done well against Souths, but I, you know, it's, I don't think unless I'm mistaken, we played them in the final since 2014. And that was when yeah. we were really, really out of form and they were certainly in very good form. So I don't think we can take a whole lot from a history that far back. Yeah. I, I just think no Latrell should hopefully mean, you know, I don't think their forward pack can be as good as they were against the Penrith against Penrith twice in a row. I think they were really, really good. If they play like that again, they will crush us and it won't be close, but I just don't see them being quite that good again. And I think our players will step up a little bit, you know, smarting from that performance that they had against the storm. Okay. So you've got, you've, you've got Manly beating South saying make it to the grand final. Let's finish the other side of the branch. You got Parramatta and Penrith. Who do you think wins that one? Look, it's bizarre. I am going to tip Parramatta against Penrith. I, I mean, I think Storm are going to beat whoever gets there against them, but Parramatta have beaten them twice this year. Maybe they've got the secret. I'm going to hope because obviously as a Manly fan, I'd rather that we play Parramatta. If someone's going to win that isn't Manly, I'd rather it be someone not called the Storm. So I'll, you know, cheer for either of those teams over the Storm to get there. Okay, so you've got a Manly Melbourne grand final. I do. Yeah, okay. And, and how do you think that plays out? Not well. Okay, great. So let's go. <laughs> let's go back to. Or let's go back to your game then, um, Abizo. You've got Manly and Roosters. Who do you think actually wins that one? Uh, Manly will win that comfortably, I think, unless we okay. can, unless we can target Morgan Harper. But we'll see how that goes. He's got such beautiful hair and great facial hair. And then Manly and South. How do you think that goes? Yeah, I think that's that'd actually be a really good game. I, I think Manly could win it. I think it'll be very close. You know, I mean, I know South have done well to be in that prelim and get the week off. That's a huge advantage. But I'm not sure if you guys agree or not. That was a, a fairly underwhelming performance from the Panthers. I got the feeling that they were sort of going through the motions. They didn't have the same intensity as they would normally have. Um, and I think their solid record against South, I think they were just thinking if we go out there and play our normal game, we'll beat them. Uh, but as it turns out in finals, you, you need that little bit extra. And not having Dylan Edwards at the back really hurt them too. And so you've got Manly making the grand final. I think they can do it. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Okay. And then the other branch, uh, Eels and Panthers. Oh, I think the Panthers can win that game. Yep. Yeah. And then Melbourne and Panthers. Great game. It's the GF we all thought we were going to have. Uh, I've got to lean the way of Melbourne in a tight one. So you've also got Manly Melbourne grand final. I do. And I think, unfortunately, sorry, Mario, I think the Melbourne Storm will go back to back. Wow, fucking hell. So we used to have Rosado, who used to fight with Mario all the time, and then they, they you know, petered out a little bit. And now I've got you two predicting the exact same series of finals. Well, luckily, someone in this podcast is a little bit different, and it's our friend Giannis underscore Mateus, and Dragons will remain undefeated in this final series. Uh, okay. Well, it is hard to predict the finals. But even harder is to predict... What happens with Corey Norman next? Now, he played at three pretty big clubs. He played for Brisbane, Parramatta, and St. George Illawarra. Played over 50 games for all of them. In fact, he played over 100 games for Parramatta, totaling almost 230 games altogether. He played State of Origin and Finals. But for some, might say unsurprisingly, he lost said State of Origin game and lost all three Finals games that he was part of. So... Great bloke with charities and stuff like that off the field, but also hung out with questionable characters. A very difficult player to really kind of pin down. Mizzo, what's your overall take of Corey Parker? Uh, Corey Norman. I mean, if you can ask me about Corey Parker, my opinion will be worse than my <laughs> opinion of Corey Norman. Wow. Corey Norman, 
he's a he's a dumbass with a decent heart, but unfortunately, just zero commitment to himself in a career sense. I think the guy had natural talent, but I just the impression I get from the outside is that he's never put any real effort into that into fostering that natural talent and you know developing skills. He's just relied. He seems like someone who was probably really good as a kid and got told how amazing he was. And then he's just, you know, he's read his own press for his whole career. And until, you know, he's just decided to stop reading his own press because now it's like, nah, whatever they say, I'm awesome. Look, I, I took this intercept and scored a try. So that means I'm awesome for this year. It just, he, he does good things. And I really thought when he was at Parramatta, there was that one season where I thought he was the real thing. He, he was just throwing some really good passes, playing on the left from memory and just and just making the right plays at the right time. And maybe that was only for a five or six week period. I don't really remember now, but I, I definitely had that impression that he was going to be a player for them. And then well, I think that was from memory, as you said, they lost in the first week of the finals and maybe it was like 2017, they went out in straight sets. And then he's just sort of not been as good since then and just kept getting worse. This year was just horrible. Bizzo? Yeah, look, I guess... You know, normally when you're talking about NRL players that have played more than 200 games, you know, people normally say, you know, the NRL owes that player some gratitude. But I think in this case, I actually think Norman owes reparations to the league uh, for putting us through his career for all that time. (laughs) Um, I think he played his best football at Brisbane. Uh, He had his best haircut at Para, had his worst blackjack beat at the Dragons. Um, it's, It's all history. But I'm, I want to put this to the panel here uh, with regard to Corey Norman. Do you think that the Dragons should immortalise a Corey Norman trophy in the shape of him quivering under Paul Vaughan's bed? <laughs> well, who gets awarded that? What would you What would you need to do to get that? I think whoever commits the next NRL scandal. Oh, okay. So it'll be given out on Monday then. Yeah. Um, and yeah. obviously it goes without saying, but the little bronze wallet, I think that's a- that'll be sold separately. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a. I, I also find him very hard to to really pin down. In that, I think I think he's he seems like the kind of guy who had a really not, probably a great family. I've no idea about his his personal life, but he he comes across as someone who had a really great family, and his mom and dad taught him a lot about how to be the the right guy and a nice guy. And he often goes and does those things, and you know his parents would be really proud of him. But he's also gets swept up in that teenage boys boy vibe where. When the boys are up to something, he's really keen to get involved and be a big part of it. And so he ends up also doing really stupid shit that he doesn't think his family or whatever will find out. But unfortunately, because he's a public figure, everyone finds out. And so I think he would have been a really great mate um, if he was like an accountant or, or um, you know, in, in your industry. I think he would have been really, really great to hang out with, do Friday beers with um, and, you know, hear some stories about how hard they all went when you get back to work on Monday. Uh, and unfortunately... Um, you know, and a really lovely bloke. When, when the you know there's white ribbon day or something at, at your work, he's the guy who wants to organise it because you know he, he's good for charities and things like that. So it's just a shame that he. Uh, and I think Mario, what you're saying there about he was he was really good, but maybe just himself might be might be absolutely nailing it. He looks like the kind of guy who who plays really well for the season, but then can't in the finals. A little bit maybe like Mitchell Pierce. I think Ben rookies were talking today a bit about Mitchell Pierce and how he's a great 24 game player, but he's not a good four game player. And referring to uh, regular season versus finals games, and maybe that's also 
Corey Norman, not just about his finals, but also just kind of big, big moment things. I know he's hit a whole bunch of drop goals, which is what jumps to mind, but also that last game the Dragons were playing where they they had kind of an opportunity to win the last seconds of the game and the ball came to him to do something with it and he just dropped it cold. Yeah. You know, and that's his last moment in the NRL. It's, yeah. You know, it's heartbreaking. Well, look, just just to, on Mitchell Pierce, it's not, it's not that hard to work out. It's when finals, i.e. the games get harder, um, he's not as good. Why aren't we here talking about Corey Norman in that kind of gravitas of some other players? I actually think Mario's right on the money there. It's, it's a it's a personality thing, right? Like, I don't think it, there are a few people that have really doubted his skill level. You know, at one point, I reckon it was for a good season and a half, Corey Norman had one of the best short kicking games in the league um, at Parramatta. Mm. Um, and when he first started, he was more athletic before injuries got him, but he was fast and he had a step. That quickly left him. Uh, but then he had to kind of develop his game into a playmaking role. But, you know, as we see time and time again, it's, it's very rarely about natural talent in what makes you an enduring great player. It's, it's your personality and your, your drive to want to win. And I feel like with someone like Corey Norman there, you know, particularly in those kind of games where everything's on the line, Corey Norman's not the kind of guy that steps up and, or you see him regularly. You often don't see him in those moments because I just don't think he has that same drive to win as say someone like a Cooper Cronk who played well above his skill level, but just wanted to win that much. Um, but yeah, a skillful guy, anyone that's played 200 plus games, you know, we make jokes here on the show, but you can't sneeze at that. He's obviously got some talent. Um, but I guess we're always going to lament the fact that he could have been better. And finally, Bizzo, let's talk about, uh, other than that, that's one big change that the Dragons, I think a lot of their fans are quite happy to, to see the end of Norman. Um, and so they're really looking forward to what happens next year. What other big changes, um, Bizzo, do you see happening next year? I mean, who do you think's the 2021 Titans for 2022, where it looked like they just needed something and then it actually worked and they made the finals? Yeah, well, I mean, look, I think that the biggest change is going to happen over at Canterbury. Um, to what degree um, that reinvigorated roster is going to be able to make an assault on the competition remains to be seen. I think it would be overstretching it to suggest that they'll be tilting at the title. Um, but it would actually be, as someone, I've never had a great affinity for the club. I'm glad they're around. Um, but, you know, growing up at a time where they often used to beat us made me not really like it, but like that club very much. But it, it has been a long time for them being in the doldrums. And I think just as a league fan, it's nice to see a bit of a mix-up. And hopefully they do actually start to claw their way off the bottom of the table and make a shot at the finals because I think their fans have been through enough. I definitely don't have the Bulldogs making the eight. I have them in that middle zone. And I, you pro, I know you saw a, the one to 16 that I did put out. Was it last week that you were not a fan <laughs> of, Big T? Um, but you I, had us coming see, second last. That's why I hated it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I had you slot, a slightly worse team than you've got this year. I'm pretty happy with that assessment. Um, I, 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 I just think the Bulldogs... In the end, although their team is a lot better next year, they've still got Trent Barrett as their coach. And I do think he's just not – he could do something with a team and get them up to six or seven. So it's not out of the question they could get in that in that, me, in that mediocre zone, which I do think, again, next year, the seven to 11 is going to be congested like it was this year. I think the top six will be pretty standout. But the difference is that I see South dropping out of that top six and the Sharks moving up into it. Wow. Okay. The only the only issue I have with the Bulldogs is that I think it's a 
it's a longer burn. So they made a lot of changes, which is great. That'll take maybe three years to to have a real massive, like tangible. This is definitely happening impact. And so even next year, if they win, say they won three games, I think this year, two or three games. If they win another three or four additional next year, that's a huge thing for them. They win seven games. That's more than double what they did this year. They'd still come last. And so it's going to take a long time for them, I think, unless somebody else really bottoms out. Um, they, they, you know, seven wins is is what the Cowboys and the Broncos also did this year. Um, and so that's not that's still not enough really to to be great. They're so bad at the moment that it's going to take um, years for them to to fix that. Cult. Like uh, not just changing players, but also changing behaviors um, in and around training and and things like that. So and celebrating you or whatever. Say that. So, but do you think if Wayne Bennett walked in tomorrow to be the Bulldogs coach, it would take them three years? Or do you think they'd be top eight next year? I say they'd be top eight next year with Wayne Bennett as coach. Yeah, really? No, I don't I don't think. Because I saw that in Newcastle, it didn't happen. That took him three years. Two, uh, I think, only I two think, years? I thought, they, year? I thought they made the finals uh, in his first year. They definitely made the preliminary final um, in 2013. <laughs> His last year there, he made the he made the preliminary final with them, and they were, they were in the last dying seconds could have won it. And it was Bedirus, I think, his last game as well. Yeah, he got yeah I thought out, it took longer than that, out of that game. Yeah. Anyway, but, I, I would suggest it would take longer, and also because I think Canterbury has a lot to do there. Newcastle, as a club, I think oh, I don't know about that. Actually, I don't know where Bulldog is. The Bulldogs are at the moment. The club, I, I know their front of house in an absolute was an absolute shambles. A couple yeah, years ago, and I don't know another, if that's been fixed. Now. That's another thing, though. T is that they are rebuilding, not just at the roster level, but at the executive level as well. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Is, I guess you know it's you don't fall into the um, trap of comparing apples and oranges because you know there are some clubs, as you said, it take it could take years because it's slow incremental change. But I, I'd say that this is quite significant rebuild within the space of one season. Um, you know, and it has happened before. There's precedent for teams being completely shit and then, you know, having a shot at the title the next year. Uh, you know, Penrith did it in 03. The Roosters uh, from 2012 to 2013 uh, we were pretty bad that in that previous year, but won the comp. So it can happen, uh, but I think it has to usually be a significant change agent for it to happen. You know, the Roosters got Trent Robinson in that first year, so the coach does count for a lot. Um, I'm sort of with Mario there with Trent Barrett. My... I've always hung on the line that the jury is out, but I'm starting to get rumblings from the jury that Trent's shit. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I think the Broncos have a really good chance of getting much better than they were this year. Mm. I'm really worried about the Warriors. I'm really worried about the Cowboys. Um, I, I don't see. I hope that they get better, but I don't see. I don't see them getting better faster than everyone else hopefully does, and so they'll improve, but still probably drop down the table if, if you know what I mean. Which is what I think Bulldogs do. I think they improve, but also don't move too much. I agree with you. Haven't the Broncos been like the most improved team in the competition? They've really shocked me in the last sort of six or seven weeks. So I didn't think yeah. they had it in them. I, I thought Kevin Walters was a, a bad decision. They definitely needed a new coach, but I didn't think it was Kevin Walters to be the man. Um, but I have yeah. to say, he has got them playing fundamentals and they've actually got the belief to win again. The other thing I think is they're on a similar trajectory to the Titans where Coaching change, you know, and it takes a year to get through that. Small personnel change takes a year to get through that. And then 
a better back end of the season, some you know better culture belief and and whatnot around the club. That hopefully they not hopefully actually I don't give a shit if the Broncos do well or not. But the um, for the sake of the people in and around the club though, for their mental health, I hope that they it gets better and that they they seem to be on the similar trajectory as the Titans. The other question then is, do the Titans continue this? Can they sustain some success over the next two three years, Mario? I think that performance the other day is actually more an indication of what we can expect yeah. from the Titans the next couple of years. I think they've got they're going to have a little bit more stability hopefully next year with their halves. I think AJ is probably going to be their five eighth, and then you know they've got this um, is it Sexton guy. I reckon is most likely to be their halfback, and then Fogarty being the fourteen or buggering off elsewhere. I actually think Fogarty would be a good get for the Broncos to grab over the offseason yeah. because the Titans possibly don't need him. My issue with the Broncos is, yes, they've certainly improved by bringing in Adam Reynolds. He's a huge, huge, huge improvement. But yeah. is he enough of an improvement? Right now, Reynolds has been playing with some with you know one of the best hookers, one of the best five-eights, if not the best, and one of the best fullbacks, if not just about the best, all year, and, and a very, very good forward pack. Brisbane have just lost their second best forward in Savita Pangai Jr. They've lost maybe their best, probably their best winger in Xavier Coates. So yes, they have brought in a very good halfback, but we're not sure who their five eighth is going to be. Their hooking options are bloody terrible, and their fullback option doesn't look particularly great. As much of an Asako fan I am, he doesn't seem to be the option. And Tessie knew the jury is well and truly out on him at the moment. But you know what this competition does prove is that. Uh, if you've got a great game manager, that that puts you ahead of seventy percent of the team straight away. Um, you're right; it won't be a one-man band. You need he needs people around him. But geez, the Broncos have missed that for quite a few seasons now. They haven't had anyone that can really direct the overall strategy of attack. Adam Reynolds will bring that. He'll also bring, you know, a, a great kicking game and, a, and a, someone who's going to convert tries. So um, he's going to be, as you said, he's going to be a massive plus. Uh, the question will be, you know, what they can put around him. But I, I think they are going to be a top eight team next year. I was going to say, I think if they make the right call, which in my opinion is putting Stags to 5'8", and if they can stick to it, I think he's enough of a natural talented player and he doesn't get injured, et cetera, that I think he could be that really good piece because he'd be such a good compliment to Reynolds, who's, you know, the game manager. Stags is just a play it as he sees it sort of guy that with that really, really impressive running game. I think if he can develop anything resembling a kicking game and the occasional pass from right to left or left to right, depending on what side they put him, if they keep him on the right, that's fine. Um, I think he, it just means that it's not a case of, Oh, look, they're going to go to Reynolds again. Let's just, you know, put everyone over on that side. It means they've got that option, which has helped DCE this year, having, you know, decent people on the left and it, you know, it yeah. certainly, it helps a lot of players just having that other mm. guy, just not being all about the one player. And T, I know we've drifted off the Titans and we did start with the Titans. I want to give you my take here. Sorry. No, that's okay. Because, you know, they, they played against the Roosters the other night and they arguably should have won. And a lot of people said the reason for that is because they played, but they had nothing to lose. Uh, but as Patrick Herbert found out, um, they did have something to lose the match, um, which was quite big. Um, so next time I'd suggest to Titans fans, uh, make your team play like they've got something to lose. Well, yeah, with a very good and a very good chance to win. We were talking momentarily about um, Adam Reynolds moving to Brisbane 
and and the machinations that it has on the Broncos. Can I get you now, um, Bizzo, to think about how that impacts the Rabbits? They're going to lose Wayne Bennett and um, Adam Reynolds. They're going to possibly, well, according to both of you, get very close to a grand final but not get there this year. Can they stay in the top four, do you think? No, this will be the start of the decline. And by that, I mean the plummet. Um, this will be sort of the very top of the mountain, right down to the summit again, as if, you know, sort of like one of those mountaineering accidents that you see, you know, when one of those Nepalese shirts falls <laughs> off a cliff. That's what's essentially going to happen to South next year. It's been a great run, uh, but you fired the heart and soul of your team in Adam Reynolds, the heart and soul of Redfern, born and bred in the area. You fucked him off. I know you've got a, a young guy coming through. I hope he's good. I'm sure he's okay. He won't be Adam Reynolds next year. And the one big thing is you are missing old man Bennett. He brings success. I don't know if Demetria is going to have the same effect. What are you thinking, Mizzo? Pretty much exactly. The reason I had said that Souths are going to be the big fall, or I think I had them eighth or ninth in my table. Um, it's not just Wayne and Reynolds. Uh, don't you Also, Dane Gagai has been really, really good playing for yeah. them this last year and a half. He's been very good, and I think that's a an underrated loss for them. They're going to have, is it Braden Burns or Heimel Hunt, whichever one of those two plays for them, is, you know, a good chance of being the replacement player. And I just, that's a huge, huge, huge drop-off in attack and defence, particularly in attack. And it, it's just one of those things. They just, they don't look like they're improving next year. I think their window is closed if they don't win it this year. And bloody Latrell with that hit, unfortunately, I think has cost them has closed their window forever or for a long time. <laughs> forever is a good one. I mean, I think that's actually probably <laughs> feeds into the sense of urgency for South this year, right? Because I think a lot of people at that club know that and they're, they're not just playing because they think the window, it could be closing, uh, but they're also playing to kind of send off guys like Adam Reynolds and, and the coach. Um, I think if you're going to see, it's going to be an all or nothing here from South. I think they realize if they don't get it this year, it's got to be a long wait. I would imagine that the rest of them stay similar to where they are. Melbourne and Penrith look pretty set. Manly looks pretty set up there. Roosters in and around the top eight. Um, Eels, Knights all feel pretty good. Sharks and, and Parramatta, sorry, Sharks and the Raiders are fighting to try and get in, I see. But we have, we've talked about everyone really except for the West Tigers. Now, of course, the West Tigers look good in that they haven't been there for so long that probability is really starting to work for us. Eventually, you know, the, the laws of probability will actually force us in regardless of um, how we're playing. And we've had a lot of big signings. So, Mario, I know you said at the, at the top that nothing's really happened for next year and, in fact, we're going to get worse. Well, obviously, Adam Dwayne, with a year under his belt here and the more leadership it takes on, he'll get better. Dane Laurie is uh, God's gift, Daily Messenger's gift to the West Tigers and continues to get better every day. Next year for 2022, um, we have Justin Hastings coming from Wigan, Olive Gildart from Wigan, Aaron Woods is coming from Cronulla, Adam Elliott's coming from the Bulldogs, Curtis Scott's coming from Canberra, Josh Dugan is coming out of retirement from Cronulla. We were obviously getting Corey Norman and the other male I've got in this thread is Sam Burgess is coming out and that's obviously from Twitter. So we'll be fine. Okay, hang on, hang it's on, a lot on. Of, that's you are, you're going basing this off a troll um, <laughs> post from a Karate Warrior. Uh, I'm pretty sure most <laughs> yeah, of those cool. signings you just said were made up by him. I hope for your 100%. sake that's the case. hundred <laughs> percent. There's you know no the, way. There's you know no the way sad... Josh Dugan is. Do you know what the sad truth is there, T? I remember boys, you were reading that out, knowing it's a spoof list. I thought, 
geez, they could win a game, that mob. <laughs> Yeah, only just we could get very close, mate, and then lose it in the death. I'm sure. I that, think you should that, sign that, them. That, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, so with the, all of those amazing signings, I would imagine that we uh, that we make you know we scrape into the eight, and then we um, we do a who was it? The eels? No, eels and I was eels and roosters. No, what was this upset? Oh, south. No, none of those. No, we'll just end up losing in the in the, in the first round. But I'm telling you right now, when the West Tigers make the final and then lose spectacularly in the same way that probably um, Manly lost. If we lost 40 to 12, it, we, you'd still see West Tigers fans celebrating like we'd won 40 to 12. It's going to be such a great day on mm. social media um, all over the place and in real life uh, because it, I'm really glad it didn't happen this year because we wouldn't be able to be out in pubs and celebrating together. It was really great actually that the West Tigers didn't do it this year um, for us, for us fans. So next That's year is the year we'll be absolutely – yeah, we're really can we're we're a really um, conscientious club like that, and um, we do things like that for our fans. Uh, and so hey. I'm looking forward to Madge McGuire or not. I hope he stays. I know that you guys aren't particularly big fans of him. Sorry, what were we going to say, Biz? No, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, mate, because um, uh, you're on a good flow there. So I've done I've done a bad thing, but I was just going to say, I you know, there's been a lot of talk about the coach and about the future of the Tigers, and I've noticed a trend among Tigers fans, and I was, I was wanting to know if you're in the same boat, of people who... Are, I am. Whatever this is, I am. I'm in this thing, yep. <laughs> Whenever the question of a potential coach change comes up, I've got Ugh. the same answer of five people. They've said, yes, but if we got rid of him, who would we get? And I remember thinking that I don't think that's a good response. Like, I, I think if yeah. it's not, it shouldn't have tenure there like a, like an old age professor <laughs> you know you've got to earn your yeah. seat anyone at any club you have to earn your seat that's just the reality it's competitive sport and i know i shit on madge's head a lot and I, I i'm mainly for comedic effect but also i do think he should go but i wanted to get your your response on that is that is that how you feel about the coaching dilemma that the reason you'd stick with madge is because who else would we get no i honestly think he's a really good coach Okay. I think from anyone I've ever anyone I've ever interviewed has been coached by him, referees, New Zealanders, uh, West Tigersians, South players. All of them have spoken highly about Michael Maguire and Aaron. No, Adam Reynolds to this day um, assigns most of his greatness and and worth to to the work and and the belief that Madge gave to him. And um, the referee who Grant Atkins also talks about how he changed his life um, by spending nine months with him. It just He's, he's an excellent bloke who, who... Why, you don't like Grant Atkins? Oh, my God, no. He's terrible. Oh, okay. The, anyway, the, um, I, think, I think... Well, I'm going back to Matt McGuire. So I think he's a great coach. It just doesn't, at the moment, have um, the organisation or the, or the team or whatever he needs to, to get all the wins that he needs. He didn't need too many more wins um, this year, of course, to get all of this bullshit off his back. I think we had two more wins this year and we would have um, made it. So, uh, and we had those, I mean, one of them against South was, you know, a crazy game um, and yeah, we had a really, and the Warriors game and we had a whole bunch of ones that were close and that would have absolutely killed him in the same way that killed us. So if he's so universally liked, what's, what's happening here with the playing group, there's clearly a, a cohort of the current playing group that don't want him there. Um, and I know that what there were, that? we've had guys like, uh, like Brooks essentially not defend the, the rumors uh, during the year that there was a, a quote player revolt. I know that that could have been 
somewhat inflated by the likes of Fox News, but there's definitely the kernel of something going on there. And I could tell by the players' reactions that some of them didn't exactly go in foolhardy to go in for bat for match. I think there is something there, whether it's a communications problem. I'm not saying they hate him, but there's there's clearly a portion of that of that squad that aren't on his page. Now, maybe that's their fault and not Madge's. I don't know. But he had a similar problem at South, I understand, with a with a cohort of that squad as well. He got a few of them offside. Um, I, I just think there is, there's got to be some kind of flaw in the strategy there for Madge. Because think about it. Why, why did South let him go as well? Like what, what, I mean, he wasn't that long ago past the premiership, right? Um, he seemed to get sort of punted. He didn't, didn't leave for another club or anything like that. He was in the wilderness for a while. Um, I don't know. I, I've got my question mark over Madge. Yeah, I mean, you could say the exact same thing about Dez, though, right? I mean, he, he was also punted for no real replacement. They put Tuvi in there. He was doing really successful. They also dumped Tuvi. But clubs make decisions based on things that we don't particularly see. I also saw the Cronulla coach doing a great job this year, got got um, done over. And then the interim coach was also doing a great job. He's also not got that job next year. I think there's uh, – and on the other side of that, Ricky Stewart had an extremely long time with Canberra, did nothing, had that window – it's closed and, and they're on a free-for-all, but they're not moving off him. The the Dragons coach also um, bagged out at Brisbane, got them some places, but, um, you know, got, got dumped unceremoniously. He's, he's got lots of different jobs and never really done anything particularly notable, particularly not as much as Michael's done. So I think, I think the thing that you're accidentally falling into is that you hear a lot about the West Tigers and so you just think a lot about the West Tigers. And so the kind of coaching that, that he does or, or the times that the amount that we think about him is an unusual amount more than we are doing, say for the Cowboys coach um, who, who made a lot of really bizarre choices this year, but we're giving him time and space because he needs it. And also no one gives a shit about the Cowboys because they're so far away and our media cycle doesn't talk about them as much. So unfortunately or fortunately the West Tigers, West Tigers are a very attractive club uh, and attractive. I don't always mean popular, but attractive in that, they're extremely attractive to talk about and to think about. And so Michael at the moment is just dealing with that. Uh, and the amount of questions players would get about him, I'm sure, even with the best media training at times, they would come off as shitty or short and and the media would then tell you to interpret that as them not liking him rather than them being tired of the Michael Jordan-esque, when are you retiring? Is this your last game? What do you think about Pippen? They, you know, they would get that question about their coach and, and Luke Brooks particularly, since he started, would have been asked that question, the exact same question, just changing the coach's name every single six weeks since he started. So, you know, I think we're reading way too much into what the media tells us to read into rather than just uh, uh, thinking about the professionals who are in and around that organisation who are hopefully making the best decisions despite what we are told on the outside. Well, what about let's take away the media narrative then and just look at the, the facts that, you know, that club under all the key metrics has gone backwards every year since he's been there. Um, and I, I know that he inherited a bit of a mess, so you can cut him some slack. But, you know, at what point are the club, the fans going to want to see that club go forwards? You know, they're also in his time, there's been some sort of unusual purchases too. So it's not as though, you know, that roster is entirely in, an inherited one. Um, so I think just yeah. on, the, on the facts of where they're finished on the ladder, they've been going backwards ever since he's been there, year on year. Yeah. Yeah, and I think if you look just at that, then we've gone up and down for, for the last 10 years. So looking just at that over one small sample size probably isn't, 
isn't fair on him. Pick him purchasing players is an absolute hot mess um, of a you're constantly rolling a dice on that. I mean, <clears throat> had Jason Taylor sell off Robbie, uh, which was a crazy idea. We had Ivan Cleary buying Russell Packer and and um, and um, that other forward from New Zealand, uh, Ben. Last name, and both of those, Madalena. Thanks. So you know, they they looked like they could have been good signings, and they were terrible signings. So we we could also go through and and find bad signings and great signings from all coaches over the last fifteen years or three years, uh, and I think that would be an unfair thing then to solely assess them on that. I agree that the results haven't turned up uh, in the time that we would want them to, because because every year the club and the fans want us to go forward. And every year it's exhausting that we don't, but every year to blame the coach and solo the coach when that's the variable we keep changing and nothing, and we keep getting the same results. I think it's unfair then to continue to change that variable. Uh, And in fact, we should probably leave that one alone, particularly now that we have a coach who is proven outside of this environment. Uh, We've put him in this environment. Maybe now we give time to try and change what's around it rather than just trying to change that one seat over and over again. Look, I agree. It's not. It's it's certainly not a single variable. Um, but I, I just wonder if he's part of it. But you're right. The the whole administration has to be, also had the spotlight put on them. Right. Like there are probably some. I mean, if the club has been in that position for a sustained period of time, just being the nature of professionalism, you have to start doing some serious audits. And you're right. You don't just change the coach and hope things get better. You need genuine structural change. So I'm not pinning everything on Madge, but um, you know, you know, he is in the hot seat. It's a bit like the same way we judge halfbacks. Halfbacks get way more scrutiny than someone playing in the second row, for example. But I yeah. kind of feel like that just comes with the territory. You're a halfback. When your team wins, you you usually get, you know, the Dallium or the medal, or the uh, you know, man of the match, and a lot of the praise as well. I think it's just the nature of being a head coach. You know, you are the buck sort of stops with you. How many seasons would you give the Tigers? Before you reevaluate your opinion, say for example, yeah. if two years don't go to plan, would you would you reevaluate then? What is your timeline for that? Yeah, that's a great question, and that's one I'd have to think seriously about because is it yeah. just us not making the final over the next two years? Then you know that would be that would be worse. Is it us winning a wooden spoon over the next two years? That's obviously would be terrible, um, and we'd have to have a lot of changes. I think the problem that we have with the analogy between the halfback and the, and the coach. There is. I, I take a lot of. I take a lot of it that you know you've both chosen to be halfbacks. You've both chosen to be coaches, uh, and and I'm happy to extrapolate that out. The only real difference is in the NRL with with a contract market and the and the salary cap things and every and every club having to have pretty much the next five years mapped out financially and how they're going to work with player markets. Mm. It's much easier to move on a coach. And it's much harder to move on a halfback and to buy another halfback. And so. To, to look at players and go, well, they, they're running on and off every loss isn't the same because a coach has one bad season and then it's very easy to move them on. A halfback has a bad season. You can drop them to Reggie's, but they're still on the exact same coin that they're on that you signed them for. And you start to look really stupid uh, if he's a three-year halfback on a million dollars a year like Ash Taylor, but you're playing him for an entire season, a million dollars in reserve grade. Now, the, the pressure's on you, particularly if he starts playing well and, or Reggie's or you're still not playing well even with him down there. You know, all of that still, I don't think that's that that doesn't come back on the halfback. Everything is coming back on the coach and they're so quickly moved on due to those contract restrictions or, or lack of restrictions. So they're in a much more challenging position, which is why I think the media and, and organisations focus on them and move them, pretending that that's going to fix it because it's actually the easiest fix rather than 
um, the the most effective fix in in every sense. And and also you've got people like Phil Gould saying there's only 16 jobs and there's a thousand people who want to do it. Now that's not also true of halfbacks. Um, there's not a thousand halfbacks, particularly not good ones that want to do it. And there's not a thousand coaches that are good and ready to do it. But another thing that Gus always says is that to rebuild a club is not a young coach's job. A young coach needs to come in and continue excellence and an old coach needs to come in and rebuild. And so Madge is in that old coach mold. Outside of that, I don't know too many old coaches that are rolling around that are ready for a rebuild. The guy at the Dragons is is kind of doing that at the moment. I don't think he's doing a particularly good job of it, but they've at least got that old coach to try and redo that club. Broncos have kind of gone for it too, and not in an experienced sense, but in a he's an old coach. And so they're trying to use that old experience vibe to make that happen. The Sharks have uh, are coasting, and so they think that they can do the new coach um, idea and the Cowboys needed an old coach. If, you, if you're going solely by what Phil thinks, the Cowboys needed an old coach um, uh, and they went with a new one thinking that they had that dynasty thing rolling still from from Green, but um, obviously that, that didn't work in the moment today. At the moment, Thurston left the whole, that whole place fell apart. So I think at the moment, the coaching thing, if I was going to try and choose, if I was going to come up with character strengths and, and experience and a whole bunch of things in a coach, I would, and I'd lay them all out. And then I looked at Michael Maguire and who he is and, and the experience he's had and the success that he's had and, and the part of the career he's in. He, he matches a lot of that. Ha, the only problem at the moment is he hasn't also turned it into success yet, but I'm still happy to give him time. To answer your question, I've got no idea how much time. It, it depends on how embarrassing the next two years are. I guess. Yeah. I would think that in terms of, say, that next two years, you just have to be able to see some sort of progress. You could even come where I predicted you were 15th next year, as long as you can see that they're, they've they moved on some of the less the players that were not fitting and that they've signing players and developing players in the right positions, and you can see a path towards improvement. I, I personally don't see any path towards improvement for the Tigers next year. But you might. You you watch the Tigers more closely than I do, and I fully acknowledge that. So I think that's – in terms of if my team was having a sustained period of not success like yours has had, that would be my judgment in terms of let's say we've got this coach and here's what he's doing. I want to see that he's making the right moves and doing the right things. Uh, to me, the, the two constants that have been through this – period of the West Tigers since tw from 2012 to now ha haven't been, obviously hasn't been the coach because you've had so many, mostly the players have come and gone, but pretty much that whole time you've had Luke Brooks and the same administration in charge. I think you definitely need to move on from Luke Brooks. I don't think, in my opinion, I think there's any doubt about that. I think if you've got Jackson Hastings, let it be his team. Say you're the guy in charge and, and let or do he let him be the guy in charge? What concerns me there is that Madge might just put him into the bloody centres again, ignoring how good he is. And I will say, I think <laughs> Mario makes a great point in terms of wanting to see the signs of where that successful road goes. And I don't know, moves like getting rid of Benji Marshall. How did you feel about that when he moved him on? Uh, I mean, I personally. I personally was on record saying I'd rather I'd rather come last and keep Benji for nostalgic reasons. But I also understand that my, it's not my job. So if, if my job is just having to listen to people who are fans of rugby league judge me on my wins and losses, then I'm also going to make really hard, horrible, non-emotional decisions um, to make sure that I get more Ws yeah. and Ls. 
if I'm thinking about how romantic would it be and how important is it um, to fans and, and people in and around this organization to keep Benji, then then you make the opposite decision. But do you want to be known as the coach that kept Benji Marshall on for an extra year or two, or do you want to be known as the coach that finally got the West Tigers in the finals? I, I think that answer is obvious. And I think if you ask that, then then I think that's a fair enough thing that what he did with Benji. Um, so I also am aware. So you think that the yeah. that Benji was holding you back from like more success? I think he thought that, and he's in a much better position to work that out than I am. Okay, so you're deferring. So you're saying, I don't have an opinion on Benji leaving. I, I have faith that Madge made the right call. On, no, no, no. What I was saying was if I got to make the decision, because I'm making it emotionally, I would have made Benji stay and us come last. But what I'm about, make what about making a decision on his talent? Because he's gone on to play some pretty damn good football with South, so I thought it was a pretty bad move to get rid of him. No, he, could, he couldn't play 14 for us. He couldn't play 14 for us. He needed to play 14 somewhere else. And South was a great fit because South was already great. Um, and I want Benji to win this year. I want South to win so much because I want Benji Marshall to win another championship. To do that in 05 and then do it in 2021 is outrageous. And and as the, as the number one Benji Marshall is actually an immortal, I'm not joking, he's actually an immortal ticket holder in the country, <laughs> to, for, for, have, for him to win another premiership is really going to help me mm. with that um, with that sojourn. So Fair enough. Um, I think um, I think that Benji Marshall and Roberta Farrar are such big personalities. I don't know what positive or negative say they bring culture-wise to a club, um, particularly at that age, or particularly if Madge has got one message and, and Benji has a different one, or uh, Benji having kids. You know, it may have been very different. Uh, being told also when he came to the club, I want you to be here um, and to, to lead, and then they find out that actually his leadership skills aren't what they needed. I don't know. That's, Guys. It's, it's very different. I don't, I don't know if you guys agree or not, but the real tragedy here is that the Tigers, in all of this, the biggest casualty is they've lost their ninth meme uh, because they're not <laughs> even finishing ninth anymore. And if there's, I know this is not what you'd call uh, smoking gun proof, but if you actually go onto Michael Maguire's Wikipedia page, uh, this isn't a good sign for the Tigers. The image has him still in a South shirt. Uh, to me, the optics are bad. Madge has to go. <laughs> You know how Wikipedia photos are done, right? I do, but I thought I'd say it okay, anyway. Great. No, I think it's good. Could it, it uh, be Michael doing it? You don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Mizzo, have you got anything else you wanted to add before we go? I just, just wanted to make sure that people. You mentioned um, cowboys flying under the radar because of where they are. I just want to make sure that people pay attention to the fact that they are going to be a distant last next year. They absolutely suck, and they're getting worse. <laughs> That's the kind of. Uh... That's the kind of tipper stuff that we pay you for, Mario. I'm glad that we could end the uh, podcast with, with such a fantastic Mario note. Well, that's all the time we've got for you today, Tacklers. Until next time, just do what the NRL does to shoot off its sporting work colleagues, find out when their grand birthday is, and then organise some preliminary end-of-work drinks for the same night. Farewell. Josh Dugan collector's cards edition. Um, oh, what's I that? I actually made these up in the early stages of the Voluntary Tackle podcast where I essentially <laughs> put together all 336 times Josh Dugan was injured and I turned them into a vintage playing card collection. Um, and it was, <laughs> yeah. And in fact, this is the piece to resist on. So I actually got Josh to sign one of – I got him to actually sign no. the card 
where he ruptured his own cock, um, which was no. really interesting because I'd never seen a cock sign a cock before. And you know what? I've got. A, I don't know if you guys saw this story. This was only um, a couple of hours before we came on. Did you guys know how rich Jonathan Thurston is? No. So apparently, get this: from his early days at the Bulldogs, he put he implemented a really strict budgeting strategy where he would only give himself $300 spending money a week, regardless oh. of what he ever earned. And apparently over the time, has he not only stuck to that, but he's reduced it to 200 and he's used every bit of excess, obviously, you know, apart from expenses like, you know, buying a house and on your family, et cetera, um, putting, pumping it straight into his investment portfolio. And he's now a multi, multi-millionaire. He owns half an airline up in Queensland. So according to this website, um, which does also tell me his birth sign, so I don't know how reliable it is or, or how good it's going to be if they're telling you that Jonathan Thurston's birthday, uh, how old he is and that he's a Taurus. But it says here his net worth is, is $7.19 billion. Well, I know. No. No. Well, just saying. Is that Wikipedia again? Is he wearing a sound no. shirt like Madge? Not even Wikipedia. This is called idlenetworth.com. Wow. Well, wonder if that's I mean, even... if he invested everything, if he'd invested everything he'd ever earned and spent as thriftily as you said, then you know you'd certainly believe he could have twenty, thirty million dollars with you know some decent investments in there and totally, stuff. Totally. Based on him, what he would have been earning a lot over a long career. This one's saying that he um, should be worth one point seven nine, which is probably closer to what we think. Oh, but you last year, sorry, earning. So he earned 1.56 last year. He's earning 1.79 this year. Well, oh, I, think, shit. I think his investment portfolio has a whole bunch of mines as well. So it's actually not ridiculously outside of the realm to put him up there towards billions. Yeah, I guess. Mm. Probably not. If he, yeah, if he struck it rich on one of his investments and he had plenty to invest, sure. Uh, the real question for the show would be this. This is classic TVT. $300 a week he lived on. Could you guys do it? <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm, I mean, you both know my occupation. I already do that with, you know, <laughs> yeah. with a baby. So yeah. I could cruise on that, mate. I definitely what? could. If it depends, as long as it, if my rent was covered, like if it was 200 to spend, yeah, I could easily live off 200 a week and I'd have, I'd have leftovers. Barry, <laughs> your, your sex dolls crack habit would be 1200 a week alone. <laughs> <wouldn't it? laughs> Yes, well, well known for my sex dolls. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure how you heard about it, though. The crack habits. Uh, uh, the doll has the crack habits. The doll has the crack habits. <laughs> <laughs>